You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. How is everyone? I assume you are getting this Monday afternoon, evening, but we are recording this Sunday night. Um... With Travis Wingfield. He is the host of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And to be very frank, to pull back the curtain, he's one of my favorite guys on the network to chat with because Travis brings a lot more to the table than just Dolphins talk. But we have not talked Dolphins in a while, and there's a lot to talk about. This is going to be all Miami. Travis, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Matt. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm really good. Um, let's start with the good. <laughs> We just saw a superb performance from Coach Flores with the the Patriots in the Super Bowl, and really all the way down the stretch. I mean, how the Patriots' defense rounded into shape. And now he's coming to Miami as the head coach. I mean, I think cautiously, because we've seen Belichick disciples struggle outside the, the nest, but by all accounts, he's got a very good feel for more than just defense. He's brought up with some scouting backgrounds. Some, you know, he's done a little bit of everything, which I think is a Belichick um way of bringing people up properly. And he's coming off a high. So, are you excited about him? I think, you know, cautiously excited is about yeah. it's about the, the landscape of Dolphins fans from here so far. But I mean, just in general, yeah, you get excited about the Super Bowl performance. And I, I often see folks compare it to, you know, Matt Patricia last year, and then he goes to Detroit after giving up 500 yards and 40 points <laughs> in the Super Bowl. And everyone's like, what are you doing here now? But <laughs> right, with, right. You know, so Brian Flores takes the exact opposite approach. But you know, you can't just get, you know, bogged down the recency bias of things. But I think the thing that makes Dolphins fans excited is that the previous defensive coordinator in Miami, Matt Burke, was so gung-ho on on doing these same things that didn't work over and over again and wanted to drill these core principles into these players and try to fit these square pegs into round holes. And you watch the way the Patriots' defense plays, and you can attribute it to Bill Belichick because, let's be honest, it's his defense and Brian Flores just picks the plays out of Belichick's playbook. And yeah, he did that masterfully, but it is Bill Belichick's defense. But the thing that you hope for is that that's what he's going to bring to Miami because I always thought the defense, the the parts were better than the sum. And I think that, you know, this was the worst defense they've had in franchise history this year from statistics standpoint. Wow, I didn't know so, it was that bad. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it just continued to get worse as the year went on. And I think that that's where the excitement comes from Dolphins fans is the fact that they might be playing more they're better personnel and better schemes for that personnel. Okay. Um, on my Friday show, I did a segment just doing the Super Bowl odds from Vegas. They come out basically as soon as Super Bowl 53 was ended. I don't know if you know this, but my anyone that listen Friday does. There's five teams or so with the longest shots in the league at 100 to 1. I mean, they're, they're the obvious contenders. Arizona, people like that. And then there's Miami, who stands all alone at 300 to 1. I was a little blown back by that, but we keep hearing this tanking conversation. I mean, I understand that they're not a powerhouse, but are they three times worse than the Cardinals and these other teams in the league? 
those are unbelievable odds. I actually yeah. did see that. And, I, you know, I understand it because you have all the columnists in South Florida writing these ideas about tanking. And that obviously comes from the organization or for someone that is connected to the organization. But then I step back and question, well, are they intentionally feeding that type of information to hide their hand going into draft season? Because no one ever plays their true hand this time of year. And so – what I think it revolves around, Matt, is do they is there a quarterback that they really have their eye on that they want to go out and really aggressively approach? And if they can't get that quarterback, then I think there might be more of a feel of, okay, we'll take a step back. We'll continue to try to retool this defense to fit, you know, more parts into what Brian Flores wants on that defense. And we'll wait for the 2020 quarterback class. And that's just kind of a contingency plan because, frankly, I could see them going after a Kyler Murray. I know Dan Marino loves Kyler Murray, and he's very much invested into the quarterback or the, the next selection of the next quarterback for the Dolphins will have a heavy decision or a heavy opinion from Dan Marino, I should say. So I think that it just kind of depends about that quarterback position because right now they're going to cut Ryan Tannehill, and yeah. the only quarterback on the roster is is Luke Falk. So, I mean, that's where that comes from. I mean, if Luke Falk starts opening day, yeah, it's it's going to be a 2-14 and 14 season. Yeah, a couple notes on that is general consensus, and I think this is a risky game to kind of play, but next year's quarterback's supposed to be much, much better than this one. So sure. if you are picking top five, first overall, whatever, great. You, you know, if that all works out, but who could get hurt? People could have bad years. I mean, like, that's hard to predict a year ahead of time. I, I cautiously do that. I love Dan Marino. I mean, I used to tour recruits past his house at Pitt. I mean, uh, I'm a big fan, but... I haven't been impressed with John Elway's evaluation of quarterbacks. Why is Dan Marino any better or different? Just because he could throw the ball really well. That doesn't mean that he's going to unearth some wonderful gem. So I turn to you. And how would you handle it? I mean, you can't go into the, the game with this, this this with Luke Falk and that's it. You can't <laughs> enter the draft with just Luke Falk. I mean, are you calling Teddy Bridgewater, Flacco, Tannehill's going to be gone, like, who's a veteran or even are you going down that route? Like, how do you handle it if you're GM? Yeah, I think the Dan Marino connection thing. I mean, who knows? Like you said, Matt, it's two different jobs between throwing a football right. and finding someone that can throw a football. So whether or not that's good, I don't I don't think it is or it isn't. It just is what it is. And I just, I just know that he likes Kyler Murray a lot. So if he has his opinion in the, in the room, that's what he would probably suggest. So, But as far as what I would do at GM, I think that there that, that Teddy Bridgewater connection is very apparent. Teddy sure. has said himself that he would love to return home to Miami and play football for the Dolphins. So I think that's an option. But then again, what's the money going to be? Because I don't think the Dolphins really want to spend a big chunk of change on a free agent stopgap quarterback, whereas they could maybe look to start a rookie or go you know, towards a more cheaper option whether that is Luke Falk or somebody else that we aren't quite aware of yet. So that's an option. Maybe Jacoby Brissett from the Indianapolis Colts. I love Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, and he has that connection to the Patriots staff because Chad O'Shea is the offensive coordinator for Miami. Mm -hmm. He was a receivers coach in New England when when Brissett was there, as well as the quarterbacks coach in New England previously uh, that just now came down to Miami as well. So there's those connections there. I think it's going to be something along the lines of one of those veterans paired with either a first-round rookie with the expectation that the first-round rookie will start. And if they can't get him, they'll go towards a, a mid-round rookie that will play a backup to that veteran-free agent. Yeah. I wouldn't even hate the idea of two veterans and next year is you know the, the rookie if it doesn't work yeah. out that way. Instead of mortgaging everything bringing in a guy like Murray behind a suspect cast and seeing what happens. I love Brissett. I, I've been saying that for a year. I, I've, I've been saying the Giants, the Redskins, I'd give up my second-round pick in a heartbeat for Brissett, and he might be the answer, and you might be done. But, 
last thing I want to bring up with you guys, with your team here, and I think it's less apparent with the Dolphins for the average fan that isn't dialed into Miami. Who are the best players on this team? I mean, who are the <laughs> true building blocks? Like, who's the best Dolphin right now? Is it Xavier Howard? <laughs> yeah, that's a legitimate question. Yeah, right. It's either Xavier it's either Howard or Laramie Tunzel, who for my money, my I votes, think I've told yeah. this. He, he was one of the better left tackles in football all year long. So he was a Pro Bowl snub for sure. But yeah, those two guys are who you start with. And then I think you, you might start getting into Minka Fitzpatrick, who really showed well as a rookie. But because the rookie class in general was so good, he kind of got forgotten about. But he was excellent in coverage when he was primarily a slot slash or a, a big nickel and a matchup piece at safety that can cover tight ends on the outside or kind of work in a matchup based defense that way. So he was really good. For most of the year until the end, he kind of slowed down. I think a lot of Dolphins fans like the backfield of Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balage and think that they kind of were underused last year, especially Drake, who played second fiddle to Frank Gore. And we'll see how that works itself out. Albert Wilson was on a tear before he got hurt. He led the NFL in yards after catch, yards after catch average, and had four touchdowns of 20 or plus yards, which led the league at that point of the season. So him coming back will be a big a big boost to the offense. But like you said, Matt, this is a team that's going to have to really kind of reshift their focus and just build up that core in general because right now it's lacking top-end talent. It has decent mid-level talent, but it definitely is lacking blue-chip talent on it. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I agree or disagree on the, the running back situation, but I agree enough that I wouldn't touch it for one off season to see what the, the complementary you know, power, power and size of Bellage, although he doesn't always play like that, mixed with Drake could do. Maybe that is the answer, and I would focus elsewhere. But is there any other building blocks? I mean, certainly Minka, Tunsil, Howard. Then I'm starting to strain a little bit. It's actually strange because for a long time in Miami, linebacker was a huge issue. And towards the end of the year, two, a, a second-year player and a rookie, but the second-year player was Raquan McMillan, who injured his ACL his rookie season. So this was both of their first years playing together, both former Good Ohio point. State Buckeyes. And that that chemistry together really started to kind of show in the second half of the season. And McMillan was really damn good going between the tackles, defending the run. And his keys were on, on point. When he took over the, the, the green dot duties in the, on the defensive helmet for Kiko Alonso, the defense played much better against the run in those games. And there was just better run fits in general I think that his leadership and his growth a year after the ACL I think McMillan will be a big time piece of the Dolphins linebacking crew and defense going forward yeah that's a good one too no no doubt and we didn't get to see his rookie year and came out of Ohio State with a lot of publicity and rightfully so and maybe he is a long-term leader fixture on the second level there um, Travis this is our first offseason Sunday Monday around the league locked on network I plan on having you on a lot more. It won't all be Miami, but this was a blast. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you besides the Locked On Dolphins podcast? Yeah, sure. Looking forward to it. So Locked On Dolphins podcast and LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as Dolphin Maven, which is a newer website Mm. started up by Ethan Skolnick of the Five Reasons Sports Network. So a couple of places there you can find me. And, of course, at Twitter on on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Excellent. Folks, we will be back in a minute. We are bringing on the hosts of the Locked On Cardinals and 49ers to talk early draft. And these are teams we haven't had a chance to talk with in a while as the playoffs have rolled along. So that is what is in store for the rest of the podcast. We will be right back. I am excited to tell you about a product I am very excited about, Low-K-I. Um... NFL Nation, I'm excited to tell you about our newest partner. And exactly like I said, that's Low-K-I. 
You need a little extra swag for game day. Low KI has your back with their brand new game day collection. If you haven't heard this name before, well, you have now. This company is amazing. I've been using their bracelets, rocking their bracelets, and so is my wife, actually, for quite a few years now. And it's a bracelet with an amazing message and also supports incredible causes, which is really wonderful. The Low KI bracelet comes in your team's colors and holds waters from Mount Everett, the highest point on Earth, and mud from the Dead Sea, the lowest point on Earth. It's a daily reminder for me to stay balanced during life's highs and lows. I'm a big braces guy, and no joke, I've been wearing the same one on my wrist now for three years. <laughs> I really have. It has an awesome message, which personally helps keep me focused with you know, both during the good and challenging times of my life. Since Low KI is friends with the show, they are offering you an exclusive discount of 25% off all game day collection bracelets. Pretty cool. Guys, trust me, I've been a fan of theirs for years. This is the best deal. Just use my promo code LOCKEDON25, that's all one word, LOCKEDON25, when checking out, and boom, you can thank me later. Uh, go to LOKAI.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON25, and take advantage of this amazing deal right now. All right, we are back, and Alex Clancy from Locked On Cardinals answered a few questions for me. About the 1-1, the Rosen, building blocks, new coach, the overall situation with the Cardinals who have the first overall pick. And I'm going to play that for you now, but we will talk a lot more Cardinals going forward, especially you know, on the draft shows. We've got that on Tuesday. Um, I think they should be open to trading down, but Bosa would be a great guy to build around. I'm still very much a Josh Rosen believer. So let's get to that right now. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, listen, you got to understand that being a host of Locked On Cardinals, it's been redundancy. It's been Groundhog's Day since about week six of last season. We had a little blip of excitement when Josh Rosen got his first start last year, his rookie campaign. But after that, it's just we're looking up. And we're in the bottom of a well looking at the sunlight like, oh, that's where everybody else plays. And we're down here with the rats and the worms and other awful things. But now, you know, it's interesting. So at least you could say since the Cardinals season ended last season, it's been interesting, which is something for media members, you know, selfishly, is good. Cliff Kingsbury, what the hell are they doing? I don't know. But what I did predict was that they would overcorrect to a certain degree after firing Steve Wilkes, who was a defensive guy, quiet, although it was said that he could lead men and all this stuff. He's not ready yet to be a head coach. He may be down the road. He's a great defensive coordinator, but he's not ready to lead men yet. Cliff Kingsbury, there's the overcorrection. If you're going to look at a spectrum of coaches, Steve Wilkes is on one side, polar opposite, Cliff Kingsbury. Offensive gunslinger with a strong chin and, you know, a six-pack. There's really nobody more different than Steve Wilkes than the Cardinals could have chosen. So they did. They're going to pair him with Josh Rosen, see what happens. Brought in Tom Clements, the uh, quarterback's coach from Green Bay. Anybody that's been around Aaron Rodgers, another, you know, egotistical quarterback, thinks he's smarter than everybody else, may lend well to Josh Rosen, the young budding and what we hope to be star. And the thing that right when Cliff Kingsbury was hired – I talked to Bo Brock, my co-host, 
It was like they need to bring in a defensive coordinator who's had head coaching experience. And it's not that much of a premise, you know, that far-fetched of an idea, but it was something that was necessary in an effort to kind of, I don't know, put training wheels on the bike that is the first head coaching position in the NFL for Cliff Kingsbury. So I guess Vance Joseph would be a nice training wheel set for Cliff Kingsbury, especially because Vance Joseph centralizes the most important strength that he has is his ability to run a secondary. He was a DB coach in Miami, I believe. There were, it, Wikipedia Vance Joseph, when he was a DB's coach or had a job around centralized around corners and safeties, they flourished. The numbers are there, and that's something the Arizona Cardinals have had a lot of trouble with, cornerbacks especially alongside Patrick Peterson, of which Brandon Williams has been a name who was a running back in college. They're like, you know what? You know what's a great idea? Let's let's put him at corner. You know, let's get crazy. Let's see what happens. Bad idea. Justin Bethel, bad idea. Uh, they haven't had a solid corner alongside Patrick Peterson since Antonio Cromartie years back. Uh, and uh, I think Antonio Cromartie just had another kid. I don't know. I, I need to check with my sources on that. But they bring in Rocky Alford, Robert Alford from Atlanta. He signed a big money deal with them a few years ago, and uh, they released him, obviously, before they had to pay him because it's the NFL. He comes in three-year, 22.5 mil, 13.5 mil guaranteed, 30-year-old corner, and this is something I'm going to I'm going to pivot to Steve Kime in a minute. This is something that gives media members and probably fans alike hope that it's not going to be another 3 and 13 season. And Robert Alford may not be a household name, but this dude can play corner. You know, and that's really <laughs> Ineptitude is something that has been prevalent from the corner position for the last three or four seasons alongside Patrick Peterson. Now there's at least, it's like somebody asks you, would you rather be guaranteed a B- minus in a class that's taught in a different language or you could study your face off and maybe not get a B-? Cardinals like, you know what, give me that B-, minus. let's move on. That's what Robert Alford is. He's not going to wow you. He he did have a pick six in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. We know how well that worked out. But with how bad Atlanta's defense was last year, and they got better, uh, their front seven was better, their secondary wasn't great, you kind of have to grade on a curve a little bit, which is something we're very used to here in Arizona, uh, taking the good out of an awful situation. And, you know, we take him, put him, at, put him in a Cardinals jersey, and it's not worse than what it was before. So not only is there an elevation in talent on the, for the number two corner, it alleviates stress from Patrick Peterson, and you can check a damn box. Because with Steve Kime now, it's all about checking boxes in a competent manner. The boxes that need to be checked were corner, offensive line, interior lineman, and wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver. And that's pretty much what it is. They're... Every skill position is needed for the Arizona Cardinals. So, Robert Alford, boom, 13.5 mil. The Cardinals will probably have around 40, to $40 million left to spend this offseason, which is less than what Indianapolis and the Jets have. And those two are, well, Indianapolis definitely, the Jets arguably in a way better position than where the Cardinals are. So the Cardinals may have to pay a higher premium on guys that they want when free agency hits. They have a corner. 
Steve Kime, the most important thing for Steve Kime to do, and it's not only, I really think Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph should be in the room during this whole process because you have guys that both have a skill set that when fused together can put, you know, can make a pretty good coach. They need to alleviate as much stress as possible going into the draft through free agency. They need to fill as many holes as they can and not just, you know, rebated holes like Andre Smith last year for two, two year for eight mil. He didn't stay on the field. Justin Pugh seems to be a, a pseudo bust, whether it be through injury or otherwise. But they need to fill as many holes with competent veterans as they can before the draft. The draft should be solely based upon taking Nick Bosa number one or getting as much possible, uh, as many possible picks as you possibly can from that pick and not picks for 2022 or 2021 for this year and next year. Josh Rosen's rookie deal runs out at some point, and if you want to keep him, you're going to have to pay him at some point, so you may as well fill this roster now. Patrick Peterson's not getting any younger. Who knows? He may request a trade on a Tuesday of next week. We have no idea what the hell he said, and then, you know, apologize for it after. Right now, the pulse, Matt, in Arizona, at least through Lockdown Cardinals, where we kind of tell you tell it to you straight and not just regurgitate information that's given to us is Good first step by signing a corner. Long way to go. Free agency is paramount. Veteran leadership. Veteran talent from skill positions. Linebacker that can run a 3-4. Wide receiver. Wide receiver. Wide receiver. You see a trend? Interior lineman, if you can, so you don't have to take a shot in the dark with another Robert Kamdiche that could be a bust through the draft. Thanks for having me, Matt. So I've been telling you now for a while that if you dig this show and you're a big Seinfeld fan or that brand of humor, you're going to love That's Gold. It's That's Gold with Steve Heitner. Steve Heitner was Kenny Banya on uh, the Seinfeld show. I mean, he was the the comedian that was kind of Jerry's rival and That's Gold, Jerry, and and that's the the role Steve played there. But on this podcast, Steve is joined by co-host Rich Johnson to talk about everything guys love, including sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, music, Vegas, and much, much more. And they come to you five days a week. It's like having a conversation, much like we do here, with your buddies at a bar. And at their bar, a lot of famous guests just often show up and shoot the breeze. So check out That's Gold with Steve Heitner on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, subscribe to the Locked On NFL Podcast, as well as Steve's, and leave us a good review. Thanks so much. All right, we are back with the final leg of the journey. We got Brian Peacock from Locked On 49ers. It's been too long since we've talked 49ers. This is a team that, going into the season, had a lot of buzz, exciting young coaching staff, Jimmy Garoppolo, signed Jarek McKinnon, a lot of young high draft picks on the team. Injuries crushed this team, but needless to say, it wasn't what we expected. Brian, how are you, man? I'm doing great, and I'm not surprised you started talking about the 49ers a lot less around late September. Yeah, (laughs) and certainly we've been focused on the playoff teams of late, and maybe the Niners can be in that conversation a year from now. But my hunch is there will be growing optimism around this team. 
Absolutely. I don't think it'll be on the level of last year riding that Garoppolo wave, but I think there will be more optimism, and I think it might uh, have there, – there might be a little bit more of an aggressive offseason approach by ownership and uh, general management and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan this year because I think – I think it's really important for this team to start amassing victories starting week one next year. Yeah, do you expect them to be pretty active in free agency? I do, and because they haven't been yet, and I think it's lining up to be a a free agent class where they could do some things either on the edge or I think the big name is probably Earl Thomas that they'll try to go after. And I don't think they're going to go for multiple high-end free agents, but at least one on the high end and then maybe try to fix a couple of other spots before they go into the draft with that number two pick. Yeah, I kind of look at this team like if I can get a number one receiver, I'm interested. But other than that, I want defense like crazy in free agency in the draft. I totally agree. And I think they're set up with they've got their quarterback that they still believe in. Garoppolo's going to be cleared, it looks like, starting at OTAs and be able to do everything in the offseason that he needs to. And the belief is that Kyle Shanahan is going to be able to do enough offensively just with what he can do and with the talent that's already there and maybe adding some pieces in the draft and, you know, maybe a mid-level free agent or something like that. And, you know, it's just so rare that a number one receiver becomes available and there might be something like that on the trade market rather than free agency. But I think defense is the way to go. And there's multiple spots they need to have fixed. So that's just that unit is is done uh, even almost before the draft is complete so they they know they're good on defense and they can figure things out with Kyle Shanahan on offense as they go yeah and we might talk about that number one receiver trade thing here to finish up the show I'm kind of sitting here in Pittsburgh I might have a little insight on that oh yeah (laughs) um they have the number two pick in the draft let's operate under the assumption that Bosa's gone I would think if I'm the Niners Bosa's the guy I want I'd rather Mm -hmm. go edge than interior what are you doing if you're the Niners GM and Bosa's gone, you're on the clock? It's such a tough situation for the 49ers to be in. If they had that number one overall pick, it would make things so easy because yeah. they could go into free agency knowing that they had that Nick Bosa card number one overall if they thought that was going to be the guy for them and so they wouldn't have to overpay for an edge in free agency. It would make things so great easy. Great to know, now, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And so now not knowing, and there's still a chance that Bosa will be there at number two, so you don't want to go all in in free agency and overpay for guys, and then you're sitting there at two and Bosa is there because that's mm-hmm. still a possibility. And... If Bosa goes one, I think it's pretty obvious that if you're if you're ranking outcomes for the 49ers, it would be Bosa and trade down would be the two big options. And hopefully a team falls in love with the quarterback. And so there's some movement in the draft or maybe someone really loves Quinn and Williams and wants to come up with a with a little trade with the 49ers at number two. But if those aren't there, that's where all of the infighting right now is happening with the 49ers fans. And it, it's come down to Josh Allen and Quinn and Williams right now. I am in the camp of you draft the best player because one year, two years down the road, needs start to look a lot different. And that, to me, would be Quinn and Williams. And we'll see what happens at the Combine and see if there's you know a cluster buster with some of these edge guys and maybe Josh Allen is just too athletic and, and too hard to pass up there at number two. But right now, that is really what's going on. If you follow uh, any of the 49ers' Twitter, it's uh, it's Quinnen Williams versus Josh Allen. What do you do at number two if Nick Bosa is not there? And it's going to be uh, really that's going to be the interesting wrinkle for the 49ers leading up to April. Yeah, and I do think that'll be really interesting. And I'm sure that's the number one topic right now in San Francisco. I lean with you. I would take the better player, the the more proven guy. 
A trade down would be great because it does look like there's a lot of consolation prizes at the edge positions, you know, in the, the following picks. Yeah, and exactly. hi- and history's absolutely shown us that, you know, uh, that these quarterbacks, maybe we're talking about them as, oh, they're going to go fifth, sixth, seventh. Talk to me in two months. I mean, we were talking <laughs> right. about Goff and Wentz going one and two. You know, oh. the world has shown that I bet a quarterback goes in the top two picks whether it's, you know, before San Fran picks and they get Bosa or someone comes up to get Haskins or whomever. Exactly. And I remember back to that draft with Wentz and Goff and Carson Wentz. Nobody was talking about even near the first round until after the senior bowl. And that started Not a Valentine's Day. Nobody was talking about him as a second pick in the draft, you know? Right. And Goff, I remember 49ers fans were arguing, is he even worth number seven overall pick at this point? And then all of a sudden it became clear that you know a team moved up to number one to take him and and then uh, those trades happened so I tend to agree with you and you know if you're a team like the Jaguars or anybody behind the New York Giants and you love a quarterback there's no way you can sit there and just sit back and wait for a quarterback and know and think that you're going to get him so there has to be some movement maybe they don't go all the way up to two or one but I got to believe there's movement and I was looking at the draft history recent draft history the last first round quarterback that was drafted by uh, the team that originally held that pick, not counting number one overall picks because you can't trade up from number one, is Blake Bortles in 2014. Every mm-hmm. other first-round pick that wasn't number one overall was traded up for. Yeah, that's how the league is working now. And I think 49ers fans should be very happy about the news that Kyler Murray, assuming we believe him, is all in on football. Um, it, it wouldn't shock me at all if he takes a Mayfield-like rise to number one or number two. Somebody could easily fall in love with him or Haskins. So I'm making that prediction right now. A quarterback will go in the top two picks, which I think Niners fans should be doing cartwheels over. Absolutely. That's the that's the hope. You're hoping for Bosa two or quarterback value gets shot through the roof. And, uh, and, and I think it's increasingly more likely that that's possible because I, you know, and I think Nick Bosa can play that three, four outside linebacker for sure. Arizona. But, you know, they might there's a chance they see Quinn Williams as a tie as a as an overall prospect with Bosa and maybe a better fit for their defense and their scheme and maybe even Josh Allen if he blows up the combine maybe they're even looking at him as an outside linebacker as a little bit better fit for a three four than Nick Bosa even though I I, I I totally think it might be overblown that Bosa is a is a is a four three end rather than a three four outside linebacker because those guys are have their hand in the ground and rushing the passer most of the time anyway yeah and it means less now than it used to also I mean there's so much nickel and I mean right. he'd be very valuable. Um, I'm the GM of the Steelers, you're the GM of the Niners, your phone rings, and I say, I have this really good wide receiver that's a little disgruntled, <laughs> nice guy though, any interest? There's absolutely interest, I think a lot less than there used to be, mm-hmm. and the, the thing I wonder about is, I I wonder if, I would worry that my offer to you at this point might feel insulting. Well, I'm going to make you an offer or two. Okay. I want Goodwin or Pettis, your choice. That very early second and a future third. See, this is this is something close to what I thought might be a trade scenario a month ago, or you know, when this whole thing came about. Mm-hmm. And I think right now the 49ers, and if I was in charge of the 49ers, I would say no to that offer, and I would offer something more like a future 
two or three at maximum, just because the latest thing with domestic violence and just those words and domestic, it wasn't even domestic violence, just any domestic dispute and cops are coming to your house because of a domestic situation, the 49ers, where they're at right now, I think that might have been the last brick in sort of a, a wall that might keep the 49ers away from making a, a, a really legit big offer for Antonio Brown and that's why I've been thinking in recent days it's like at this point if if Antonio Brown's trade value is as low as I think it is right now with his talent level I don't even see how the Steelers can trade him rather than try to mend some fences and 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 let this go deeper into the summer yeah and I don't have any birdies talking to me about the AB domestic thing but my hunches and being around him and knowing people that know him and all these things that one would surprise me a little bit. I mean, it wouldn't shock me the cops come to his house. But it also wouldn't shock me that this one not gets swept under the rug, but gets proven that he's innocent. I may regret saying that. I just That's just my hunch. That's my gut talking to me. And if that happens, the minimum I'm talking to you, though, is I want that early second and something. Right, yeah. And that's what that I thought be it would part be, of a, the player, yeah. a player in the early second. And I think right now the 49ers would say no to that. And, and maybe there's more information and something changes. But uh, one of the big things when the 49ers moved on from Reuben Foster, and you know, there's a chance with Reuben Foster's situation that he's innocent too because there's a lot of yeah, right. weirdness with that whole situation. But the, to that point, didn't even matter anymore to the 49ers. And John Lynch, when they announced that they were moving on from Reuben Foster, the thing he said is their motto is protect the team. And he was just making bad decisions. And right now I can't see how John Lynch could look at Antonio Brown and thinking that he's protecting the team that he's on currently. And so I, I think already, even before the domestic story came out, it, it might've been a hard sell for John Lynch, just the kind of person he is and, and going by that mantra. So I, I think now it, it's going to be a tough sell for the 49ers to spend a lot, but if the price gets low enough and Pittsburgh's willing to move on for something uh, less than we've been talking about, you know, I can still see something like that happening. Yeah, yeah, Brian, this was fun. Let's talk a lot more before the draft. Uh, where can people find you besides the Locked On 49ers podcast? Yeah, uh, you can find the the cast everywhere, iTunes, LockedOn49ers.com, and you can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Good stuff. Uh, before I sign off, I just want to tell everyone, tomorrow starts on my Tuesday series of draft talk with all the four draft dudes um, John Ledyard from Locked On NFL Draft is going to join me. We're going to pick a position between now and then and just go half an hour about that. And I have one more thing I want to tell you guys about. We have a, a, an important favor to ask you here on the Locked On Network, and we'd like your help. So we put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like yourself and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. So this is your opportunity to tell, tell us exactly what you like and tell us what you don't like. It should take you 15 minutes at most. By participating, you enter for the chance to win a $250 Vivid Seats gift card. So go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. And we appreciate your feedback. A great deal. Brian, this was a blast. And I will be back tomorrow over and out.